Well, good morning. It's good to see you all here today. We have many visitors with us, which is wonderful to see. And so by introduction, I am Mark. I'm one of the elders. You're going to have to come back and visit again when Chris, our pastor, is preaching as well. But we're glad that you are here with us this morning. One of the things I get excited about, one of the things I'm amazed by and awestruck by, is the interconnectedness of the Scriptures, the words and the stories from history intertwined and woven together with the with the poetry and the prophecies, telling a, a grand picture of a great God and His relationship to His creation and the redemption of a family to the praise of His glory. I hope you've been enjoying Isaiah as much as I have been. Um, I like Isaiah 46, and God gives this challenge to the idols and other so-called gods of this world as he's speaking to the nation of Israel when he says this. He says, remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet come, saying, my counsel will stand and I will accomplish all my purposes, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. No other book like our Bible contains such prophecies that have and will have a 100% perfect record of coming true. And lately, we've been looking at Isaiah 53, the fifth gospel, these past several weeks. And in Isaiah 53, we have one of the clearest prophecies of Jesus the Messiah in the Old Testament. And surely on the road to Emmaus, Jesus must have explained how he fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah 53. In Isaiah, Isaiah, we have seen a righteous servant of Yahweh who willingly and silently allowed himself to be humiliated, to be afflicted, and to be scourged, and then finally to be cut off from the living as an offering for sin and for the transgressions of his people. And yet, we see the servant having died, being buried in a rich man's tomb, but then he sees his seed, he sees his offspring. We see that his days are prolonged and the pleasure of the Lord prospering in the servant's hand. The servant is alive again. And this is fantastic because when we remember, Isaiah was written 700 years before Christ. Today, as followers of Christ on this side of the cross, it's easy for us to see that so clearly and to see Jesus in that prophecy. But we have both the rest of the story and we have our eyes opened to the truth and explained through the working of the Holy Spirit And by God's design, the people, the religious leaders, and even the apostles back then were blind to these truths, which we today think 
are so clearly obvious. I mean, who, who can't see them? So this morning, I would like to look at another Old Testament passage. This one was written 300 years before Isaiah and a thousand years before the advent of Christ. Like Isaiah, it is a prophecy that we today would say, oh, this is, this is obvious. This is speaking of Christ. But still, there are others, such as Orthodox Jews and skeptics, who will still hold to a different interpretation. In their blindness, they, they can't see the prophecy of this psalm. So please turn with me this morning to Psalm 22, and let's take a look at this passage together, Psalm 22. And while you're turning there, uh, I'd say this is probably an introductory message on Psalm 22. It probably needs five weeks of its own from Chris. But Psalm 22, and I'm going to read the whole psalm this morning. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the, the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I have no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They wag the head, saying, Commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him because he delights in him. Yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. You made me to trust when upon my mother's breast. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my father's womb, mother's womb. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me, strong bulls of Bashan, have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot shard, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws, and you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look. They stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O you, my help, hasten to my assistance. Deliver my soul from the sword, my only life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the wild oxen. You answer me. I will tell of your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All your descendants of, Jacob's, of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you descendants of Israel. 
For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has, the, has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him for help, he heard, From you comes my praise in the great assembly. I should pay my vows, vows before him who fear him. The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever all the ends of the earth. And all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust will bow before him even he who cannot keep his soul alive. Posterity will serve him. It will be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They will come and will declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has performed it. Psalm 22 is both a prophetic psalm and a lament psalm. So a lament psalm are songs, so remember the psalms are songs or poems where the psalmist cries out to God in times of deep distress or sorrow or despair. The psalmist will cry out a a lament and then ask for help of deliverance for that lament. Often in these songs of lament, you will also see expressions of trust in God and also remembrance of God's past help. Now, lament is not a word we use too often these days, so let's again go to Webster's Dictionary. A a lament is to mourn aloud or to wail or regret deeply. Synonyms include beef, carp, complaint, grievance, gripe, grouch, grouse, grumble, Holler, moan, murmur, squawk, wail, whimper, whine, or yammer. I see some of you smiling because this may sound familiar, doesn't it? I know it's been a while since my last uh, preaching, but this is the same list I read when preaching about Thanksgiving and the opposite of Thanksgiving, which is grumbling and complaining. And in that sermon, I showed the commands against grumbling and complaining, like Proverbs 2, 14 through 15, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. And 1 Corinthians 10, 9 through 10 said, now let us try, let not us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. I showed uh, how the grumbling and complaining of the Hebrew nation, having recently been released from slavery slavery in Egypt, finally led uh, to their having to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, all because they grumbled and complained. How long should I bear with this evil congregation, God said, who are grumbling against me? I've I've heard their complaints of the sons of Israel, which they are making against me. Numbers 14, 27. We saw in Psalm 106, 
that the Israelites did not remember God's wondrous works or his steadfast love. It recounts for us that they rebelled by the sea right before the miracle, but they soon forgot his work and did not want his counsel. They had wild cravings. They were jealous of Moses. And finally, they exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They had no faith in God's promises, and they murmured in their tents. Now, I wanted to remind you of this sermon because I now have a problem or an issue that I have to resolve in light of that last sermon. How can lamenting be okay, but grumbling and complaining is not okay? In other words, what's the difference between a lament and grumbling? So as you study, and as we look at it this morning, you're going to see that grumbling is often accusatory. It's making an acquisition against God and questioning his motives. God doesn't care about us. He brought us here to the wilderness to die. But a lament sincerely often asks why. So look at verse 1 of chapter 22. The first lament, why are you so far from saving me, David asks. Or I'm going to refer to Psalm 13 a little bit. David asks God, how, how long will you hide your face from me? Notice how the lament is, is not accusing God, but it's seeking God. Grumbling and complaining raises a fist to shake at God, if you remember that. But a lament holds your, its arms up asking God, pick me up, Father, deliver me. I need your help. I need your counsel. I need you. A second observation is that grumbling and complaining forgets what God has done. Whereas lamenting will remember what God has done. Psalm 13 verse, uh, 13, verse 6 says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And look here in Psalm 22, verses 3 and through 5. See the remembrance here. Yet you are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. If you go down to verses 9 through 10, we see this written. Yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breast. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. So you can see here how the psalmist in the lament is remembering the wonderful things that God has done. If you contrast that to Psalm 106, there we see that the Israelites forgot and did not remember the wondrous works and loving kindness of God. When we grumble and complain, we do not remember God's working in our lives. So that's the second contrast between those two. A third difference that we see in a lament is that oftentimes it usually ends up in praise and worship. 
Psalm 13 says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Look at Psalm 22, verse 22. I will tell of your name to my brother in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. In verse 23, you who fear the Lord, praise him. And in verse 26, those who seek him will praise the Lord. A grumble or complaint never praises. It accuses. And it never arrives at worship or worshiping the Lord. But in lament, when we bring our needs and cry out to God and when we remember what he has done for us, we will end up praising and thanking him for who he is and for what he has done. Now, a key difference then that I want you to see are the different attitudes. Really, at the heart, it's an attitude issue. Grumbling and complaining comes from pride, but lament comes from humility. Tim Challies wrote in an article on his blog addressing this very issue, stated it this way, quote, What's the difference between simple grumbling and sinless lament? I think the difference is humility and pride. The difference, I think, is acknowledging that if we're sinlessly lamenting our circumstances, and I think we're crying out to God in a posture of humility, if we're sinfully grumbling against God, we're crying out in the posture of sinful arrogance. If we're not acknowledging all we know to be true about God, we're not acknowledging God's kindness, His goodness, His mercy, His love. Ultimately, we're denying the gospel. We're denying or failing to acknowledge that Jesus Christ bled and died for us, that He has saved us, He has redeemed us, He has good purposes for us. We're denying God's providence that in some way He has arranged the world, He's arranged our lives, He's arranged our circumstances in this way so that we are facing this situation. And we're also failing to acknowledge that God is working all things for good, even if we don't like the circumstances. Even if we wouldn't have chosen it, even if we're lamenting, if we're grumbling, we're not acknowledging that God is working even this for our good and His glory. Unquote. The humility of David in Psalm 22 can be found in verse 6. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. So David, the psalmist here, really understands what's going on in his relationship to the perfect, pure, holy, and great God. So I, I think we can clearly see that David has an attitude of humility. Now, before we dig in some more to Psalm 22, I need to talk about, or let's look together at the structure of a lament. A lament will cry out about something that is wrong, and then it will be echoed in a prayer, a request, or a plea. So if the subject of my lament is a red car, 
my plea or request will be about a red car. In Psalm 22, there are several laments. The first one is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? The reason the speaker is feeling forsaken is that he thinks that God is far off. So lament number one is, why are you so far? Verse 12, look down there at 12. The psalmist is lamenting, many bulls encompass me. Verse 13, there we see a lament about ravening and roaring lions with their mouths wide open at me. And in verse 16, we have two laments. Dogs encompass me, and they have pierced my hands and my feet. So the key words here that we're looking for are far, bulls, lions, dogs, sorry, no bears, and piercing. So then we should expect to see these elements in a prayer or plea in the lament. So let's look at each of these as the psalmist writes here. Verse 19. In verse 19, the psalmist prays, O Lord, do not be far off. So he thinks God's far off, but then he prays, God, do not be far off. Verse 20 says, deliver my soul from the sword. Here the sword is matched to the lament about what? They pierce my hands and my feet. Continuing in verse 20, Next, he prays, deliver me from the power of the dog, which matches nicely with the lament about dogs encompassing me. And the psalmist continues on in verse 21, save me from the mouth of the lion and from the horns of the wild oxen, you answer me. So again, see how these all match up perfectly? They all match up. The lament, the lament that he has will match up with a prayer request. And here we see the lions and the bulls. So the structure is important, and we're going to come back to this in a little bit to help us explain. There's, there's a little controversy in the psalm that I want to address. And we're going to do that here in a, in a few minutes. But now let's look at the prophecies. And just like Isaiah 53, written 700 years before Jesus took on flesh to dwell among us, a thousand years before our Messiah comes the first time, David prophesies about Jesus. Now, I, I know many of you know this. Um, this is not new. You've read this before uh, as you have studied the Psalms. And when I read it earlier, I, I think many of you could easily pick out the prophecies concerning our Lord Jesus Christ. So as we go back through them, my prayer has been that this is not an academic exercise for us this morning. But as you ponder and remember again what Christ did, not only for God's glory, but to carry away our iniquities, that your soul by the Holy Spirit will give thanks and worship this morning. So, verse 1, Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The fulfillment of this prophecy, again, is pretty simple. If you turn later to, or if you want to turn to Matthew 27, Matthew 27, 46 says, 
About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, just by way of advertisement, Terry and I did not coordinate that. But, but given the subject, he picked that out for prayer this morning. So thank you, Terry. Clearly, Jesus cried out this verse to point people to Psalms 22. But it also points out the anguish he felt at the cross. He truly suffered. And when the sky went black, the separation from his father tore into Jesus' soul. Look down at verse 6. Notice here it says, He is scorned by the mankind and despised by the people. Let me quote from another Old Testament prophecy from Isaiah 53.3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He is despised, and we esteem him not. This describes Jesus' life, a life where he was rejected, despised, forsaken. Psalm 22, verse 7 says, they wag their heads. Matthew 27, 39, Matthew records that those who pass by him deride him, wagging their heads. Psalm 22, verse 8 reads, he trusted the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. And in Matthew 27, 43, we read that the chief priest with the elders and the scribes mocked Jesus by shouting, he trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. What was interesting is I considered this. Consider this this morning. This mocking in Jesus' gospel comes before Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So it appears that before God pointed people to Psalm 22 by saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The chief priests, the scribes, and elders were mocking God by quoting Psalm 22. Not knowing, and that's it's kind of what's interesting, isn't it? Not knowing and blind to the fact that Psalm 22 was being fulfilled right before their very eyes. Their very blind eyes. By quoting Psalm 22, Jesus uh, is saying, after they mocked him that way, he said, don't you get it, guys? Psalm 22 is about me. And to this day, Jews will memorize the Psalms, and they memorize them by the first sentence of the Psalm and, and refer to them that way. So, again, we have that prophecy fulfilled exactly. In Psalm 22, 14, and 15, we get an exact picture of what happens to a person who is crucified. I am poured out like wax. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up. Like a potsherd, my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust 
of death. And we should consider that David isn't talking about himself here or what was going to happen to to himself. We know that David didn't die like this, but Christ did. And in verse 18, we see that they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And of course, in Matthew 27, 35, it says, and when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Because we've been studying Isaiah 53, I want to combine that a little bit with what we see here in Psalm 22 for a fuller prophetic picture of what God's servant is. To see the anguish and affliction he endured that resulted in him crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In Isaiah 53, we see the prophecy of the servant whose appearance was marred more than any man and his visage beyond that of the sons of men. A servant who was despised and rejected by men and we thought he was smitten and stricken by God for something that he had done. But no, he was pierced and crushed. Led to the slaughter. Humiliated and finally cut off from the land of the living. Isaiah 53 verse 11 it says, The anguish of his soul he sees and is satisfied. In other words, the anguish of Jesus at the crucifixion God sees it and is satisfied. Psalm 22 shows us that anguish, doesn't it? My bones are all out of joint. My heart is like wax, poured out like water. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A lot of anguish there at the cross. Again, for many of you, I know this isn't real new. You knew this already, but just like Isaiah 53, there are many today who want to deny that Psalm 22 speaks about Jesus. Um, About this chapter, the Orthodox Jews and skeptics, um, no, I'm sorry, about Isaiah 53, remember, uh, the skeptics interpret the servant differently than we do. We clearly see that Isaiah was prophesying about Jesus. They would say, though, that the servant in Isaiah 53 is the nation of Israel. And then they deliberately hide and ignore what is called the forbidden chapter. Now, excuse me for taking a minor detour so close to the end. In our adult Bible fellowship, we've been studying a video series called The God Who Speaks. And the series has been a great refresher on how we got our scriptures and how reliable they are. And one aspect we've covered is called textual criticism. And in verse 16, um, we have to do a little textual criticism because the skeptics, the ones who deny that Psalm 22 is a prophecy about Jesus, what they'll say is this is a prophecy about David, or this is about David. But we see it as the prophecy about Jesus and what happens is there's a, there's a controversy about one little word in there, and they will change the verse a little so that they can deny that this passage is about Jesus. In verse 16, most of your translations that you're probably looking at this morning, it says, they have pierced my hands and my feet. But if you were to pick up a, a Jewish Torah, uh, and even if you look at the net, net Bible, Chris has been talking about the net Bible, and you can check that out online, you'll see that it says something like this. It'll say, like a lion, 
they pinned my hands and feet. The, 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 it really says, like a lion, my hands and my feet. Well, then they supply a, a word in there, like they pin, or they, they'll say, uh, like a lion mauls my hands and my feet. What, uh, and that's in the uh, Masoretic text. That's one of the, the texts that we will use to translate our Bible. And they don't like that word pierced because that word, more than any other, points to Jesus. Yeah, the Hebrew word found in, in the Masoretic text is kari, K-A-R-I, which means to dig, to bore a hole. Later, this word takes on the meaning of, of a mine, like a mine that you uh, dig to find gold, silver, or, or jewels. So the Hebrew word for lion is ari, A-R-I. So do you notice the difference? It's just one letter. So it seems like a scribe, if you're reading that text, you see the word lion a whole bunch of times, don't you? The lion encompassed me, the lion is to devour me, deliver me from the lion. So they think that, um, that what, the, what happens, the scribe saw K-A-R-I and goes, oh, that must be a mistake or, or something. Let, let, let me make it Ari, lion, to read lion. So it looks like they left off the first letter in that Masoretic text. So a previous scribe you know, may have thought, hey, he made a mistake here. But if this is where that structure of the lament comes in. Because if you remember the structure of the lament, right, the prayer for deliverance was a prayer from deliverance from the sword. If the prayer for deliverance was from the sword, then the lament had to be something related to a sword or piercing. So those, those two things have to be related. So the real word, the, the, the word that matches best is kari. So um, you and I can be very confident this day that the word pierce is a good understanding of this text. Now you might say, Mark, piercing isn't the same as digging or mining. True. Ponder this for a second though. What tools would you use in 1000 BC to mine? I would suggest that the word kari is a great word because the tools for mining in that period would have been a huge hammer and a pointy spike. I think you see it at the cross, a big hammer and a pointy spike. So what is our encouragement and what might be our application today? First, let's think about that textual criticism for a second. You can be extremely confident that the scriptures you read put into English for us is very accurate. Scholars have examined and researched and debated to produce the Bible that you hold in your hand today that is true to the meaning of the original languages. There are obviously some difficulties, like what we just talked about, and that we have to wrestle with, but in the, in the debate, in the, in the research, everyone is transparent in their endeavors, and you can research this yourself, and you can get online and, and, and dig into it. 
On the other hand, what's so precious about the Scriptures is that they're easy to understand for everyone who will faithfully read and study. They can make wise the simple. However, as a teacher, I want to encourage you in your reading of the Scripture to use those tools available. They're available to everyone these days via the Internet. To start with, read different translations. If you have an ESV, get a New King James, get a NIV, you know, get the NASB. Look at the different words that they use to, to, in there to convey the meaning. The meanings will be the same, but you, you need to wrestle with it. Um, and, and examine even those little differences to see what insights the Holy Spirit will, will show you. Remember, study to be an approved workman, knowing that all Scripture is God-breathed, profitable to you. A second application today has to do with our lamenting. It's okay to lament. It's okay to bring to God in prayer the things that are bothering you the things you need help with, the things you need rescuing from. But as you lament, make sure sure you're not grumbling and complaining. Apply that structure that we saw of the lament today in Psalm 22. Make sure that you spend time in your lament to remember what God has done for you how he has shown himself faithful to you in the past, how he gave himself up for you on the cross to ransom you, to redeem you unto himself. Let this remembrance move you to thanksgiving and praise. And finally, make sure that when you lament, you lament with an attitude of humility. A reminder from Micah 6, 8, he has told you, O man, what is good, And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? Finally, as a way of encouragement, at times it may seem God is far off. In our hearts we're asking, where where are you, God? The, The world is a mess. Wars and rumors of wars, economic difficulties, immorality abounds, morals are topsy-turvy, people calling evil good. Or you might still be hurting from the loss of a loved one or burned by friends who are sick. Our lament and plea is, God, Lord, do not be far off. Brothers and sisters, be encouraged. God sees I take you back to Isaiah 53, 11 again. Earlier, I stressed the first part of the verse about the anguish of his soul. But now I want to stress the second part of that phrase. He sees and is satisfied. Although there was a period of darkness at the cross, God saw what was happening. And because of the anguish of the servant's soul, God's wrath against us and our sin was satisfied. The penalty of our rebellion was paid in full. That's why Christ cried out at the cross, it is finished. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now 
no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Romans 5, 8 through 9, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since there we were fair, there, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. God's wrath has been satisfied. And it was because God saw what was happening at the cross. And he sees and knows what's happening with you. And we see it in Psalm 22, verse 24, as we finish this morning. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. The lament of why are you so far is answered right here in this verse. I am right here, says God. I have not hid my face from you. I hear your cry. Brothers and sisters, our God is not far off. He's right here living in our hearts. 